Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 15 of World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about that as part of our podcast coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Clarence Seedorf, the only player ever to win the Men's UEFA Champions League with three different teams. He's working for Fox Sports and other global outlets during World Cup. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from his Moscow hotel. I'm here at the Fox lot in Red Square. Brian, how are you doing? I've spent the entire day in my room, man. That's awesome. You need to do that from time to time. Yeah, I mean, it's. I just, I had things I thought I might do today or places I thought I might go. And and uh, after whatever, it's been 18 days. There was a, We got to the point where it was like one or two in the afternoon and I was, was like, screw it. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I hear you, so, man. Uh, so I... Uh, I watched games and um, wrote a little bit on the bracket and studied permutations and um, that's it, man. I got my laundry delivered. I have my laundry done. Yeah, I, got some, I got some laundry done too. I slept from 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. local time. Uh, first yep. time I've gotten eight hours since I got here. Good for you. Um, but still a full work day uh, with the last uh, set of group finales. And every day of the four days of these group finales, we've had at least one uh, dramatic finish. And once again, we did today involving Japan, Senegal, and Colombia. Colombia and Japan end up advancing. Senegal is out. And in an unprecedented moment in World Cup history, uh, the tiebreaker used to determine... Senegal being out instead of Japan is FIFA fair play points, which, if I'm being honest, I had never thought about until today. I think it's like driver's license points. <laughs> I think I guess maybe maybe Senegal's bus <laughs> ran a stop sign on the way to the stadium, <laughs> so they're going home. There was a I I may be wrong on this, um, and uh, and for those of you who think that. I guess no one could listen to this and possibly think we rehearse. But just in case, <laughs> just in case anyone out there imagines that we rehearse, we don't. Um, Run through a brick wall. So, so I think uh, I think there was a I think when Canada won their only gold cup title um, in 2000, I think it was. I think they advanced on lots. Oh really? I think that's the only. Yeah, I think they got out of the group stage by the drawing of lots, and I'm not even know what that means. I don't know what a lot is, but they draw them, and 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 I assume that means like picking instead of pen and paper. But they draw something called a lot, and uh, or, or Canada just... went on to win the gold cup, and that's the only time I I know of that something like that has happened. But then FIFA introduced this other the the, the driver's license thing, and and Senegal is out, which is kind of a bummer because they were kind of fun to watch, but they're gone. My suggestion or at least guess instead of uh drawing on drawing lots that meant that chuck blazer basically just decided who advanced <laughs> in, in the gold cup <laughs> the same way they actually come up with the groups for the gold cup um but um it's kind of crazy when you think about it. i'm trying to imagine what fans of any team that what would go through their mind if that's how your team went out uh and so i spent the rest of the day trying to think of better ways to break a tie and came up with either shots on goal for the group 
uh, or uh, expected goals if you want to placate the data wonks. Well, so I, I actually mentioned this on Twitter and had a couple of people get back to me. Uh, man, it's it's especially uh, it's especially road warriory out there right now. It is. It's like this every night, as you know. Um, so I mentioned this on Twitter, and a couple of people got back to me and, and and said that there was something to it. I have a memory of of many many years ago. Um, uh, my father grew up in New Jersey, and he was not a he was not a soccer. He played tennis and basketball. He was not a soccer player, but he liked the sport. And he, he would go see his high school team play and had some friends on the team and stuff like that. Um, soccer being sort of relevant in New Jersey way back when, as we know. And um, I remember having a conversation with him a very long time ago and him telling me that they used to count corner kicks. Right. Uh, this was before penalty shootouts existed. You know, my dad was in high school in the early 60s. And uh, they would count corner kicks in like a tournament game and like the state playoffs where someone had to move on. The, the reasoning being that the team that had more corners probably was on the attack more, probably produced more offense, may probably therefore was the better team, and that was an easy, uh, non-arbitrary, quantitative way uh, to, to determine the team that advanced. So you could count corner kicks through the group stage and have it be a thing. So um, to me, that would be more satisfying um, and perhaps more indicative of what went on the field um, than yellow cards, because they give yellow cards for all kinds of shit. They give yellow cards if you take your shirt off or if you... You know, whatever. So, um, yeah, it's it's unsatisfying. I mean, the only thing I would say, I like corner kicks better than fair play points, but I also could imagine a scenario where if teams know this, them trying to furiously at the end of the game win corners, which would be hilarious. But it would of, be hilarious. But it kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but it would, right. But, but, is it, but is, it, is it more ridiculous than what Japan and Poland did in the last 10 minutes of their game? Yeah, that was bad. Um it's a it's a good question. Uh, I always root for chaos if it's not my team involved. Right. Um, and so I think a coin flip would have been an interesting thing. I would have loved to have seen like a public coin flip, kind of like in Friday Night Lights. Um, Red but, Square. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, who would do the flip? Would it be Johnny Infantino? What kind of coin would they use? Uh, I'm sure this has all been thought out. I hope. Uh, uh, it's it's clearly Diego, man. Come on. <laughs> Come on, that's a slam dunk. <laughs> but um, in the other group, you've got, uh, we already knew that England and Belgium were through. The question right. was, would anyone try and win that game? Belgium, apparently nobody told Adnan Yanazai not to yeah. act. They celebrated. They celebrated the goal. It was a really nice goal. It, uh, another yeah. uh, really nice bending uh, shot. And uh, Belgium seemed pretty happy about it. I guess when you, I guess it's instinctive, right? You see a really nice goal and you, you get fired up, so. Well, Herm Edwards, I got uh, a Herm Edwards gif on my Twitter feed today saying you play to win the game. And uh, that's what Belgium did. They're on nine points. They get Japan in the round of 16, but they also get in the more, more difficult side of the bracket. But I like Belgium's confidence. I mean, you get the sense that their feeling is, look, if you're going to win the World Cup, you're going to have to beat some tough teams. So we might as well do that. Yeah. And, 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 so, and England has the... You know, England has the the tougher round of sixteen game against Colombia, and then if they do get through that, then may perhaps uh, lighter work in the quarterfinal than Belgium will have going up against Brazil or Mexico. But Gareth Southgate had a had a good quote. He just said, "Look, we haven't won a knockout game since two thousand six. Like, I'm not going to sit here and start plotting my route to the semis. You know, it's ridiculous." <laughs> um, 
No, the, the, the left the left side of the bracket is absurd. I, I counted this up. I, I just sent a story in sort of on the on the imbalance. I thought this was an interesting stat. Um, uh, so if you if you take the three the three kinds of trophies senior national teams can win. Um, Sorry. That's all right. Keep going, my man. I feel like I'm in an episode of Cops Moscow here. Seriously. It's like the ambulance is on, on its way somewhere in a hurry and also has indigestion. Um, so if you take the three uh, types of titles a national team can win, the World Cup, the Confederations Cup, and their Continental Championship. So I counted up, the you know, sort of looking at the pedigree, looking at the tournament-tested tradition of, of both sides of the bracket. The left side of the bracket... Um, has 72 such titles among the, the eight teams. The right side has nine. <laughs> and then you look at the star power on the left side of the bracket. Um, the last time a player on the right side of the bracket finished in the top three for FIFA Player of the Year voting was Andres Iniesta in 2012. Hmm. It's been six years. Um, and obviously on the left side, in addition to, you know, the obvious Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Suarez... I mean, you've got France, you've got Brazil, you've got Belgium. I mean, it's just it's just incredibly loaded, and um, one team is gonna one team is gonna come out of that, and it could be any one of like six teams, um, and they are gonna either be completely spent and and bloodied and exhausted, or they are gonna be on such a roll and riding so high that they will be unbeatable. Um, and it's fifty fifty for me. Oh, which one it'll be? I would say this, and this came originally, this idea from 538 of the idea of having a draw of opponents for the round of 16 after the group stage is done so that you're not Mm -hmm. incentivizing teams to finish second in their group. Mm -hmm. The one thing I would say, though, is that would cause problems with the rest day schedule. Yeah, it it would destroy the rhythm of the tournament. You'd have some team going 10 days without a game, another team playing their round of 16 game two days later. I just don't see, logistically, I don't see how you can get that done. My only question, though, would be, what if you just did draws with, like, teams group A to D and group groups E to H? Would it be yeah, possible can, if you added, you know, if you gave a little bit of variability to the situation so that there wouldn't be as many extremes in the rest days and you added a couple of days to the tournament, could you potentially pull it off? Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure if, if we sat down, or people even much smarter than us sat down and figured that out. Yeah, if you if you staggered it somehow, so there were were there was at least some account some accounting for rest days and rhythm. Maybe you could do it. But again, it, it it's all also sort of moot because at most there's one more World Cup um, played under this format. True. Um, and so you know maybe you could figure that out for 2022 or or just screw it and 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 have 200 teams in the World Cup. Um, whatever. I guess there are, in a sense, right? Two hundred and ten, yeah. two hundred eleven teams uh, officially entered the World Cup this time around, and we're down to sixteen, and that's kind of cool. And so, yeah, most of the good teams left are on on the left side of the bracket, but um, it's uh, it's going to be riveting stuff. I mean, the fact that it starts off with Argentina versus France—that's a World Cup final, you know, be, yep. being played around a sixteen. Um, I will be going to I. I've, and the lottery was also for me, waiting to see which games I, I'd be going to. So uh, 
I will be covering live uh, the Spain Russia game. Nice. And I will be at uh, England Colombia. Okay, where's that? Uh, that is at Spartak. Okay, so both in Moscow. Okay, well, good stuff, man. Uh, that means that I get to see you in Moscow for a few more days. Um, yep. Let's call it a night because I have to jump on the Fox show, but always good to talk to you, my friend. All right. Let's do it again tomorrow. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Later. See ya. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Clarence Seedorf. Our guest today is Clarence Seedorf, who's working as an analyst for Fox Sports and other global outlets here in Russia at the Men's World Cup. He's the only player ever to win the Men's UEFA Champions League with three different clubs, which he did four times total with Ajax, Real Madrid, and AC Milan. And he reached the 1998 World Cup semifinals with the Netherlands. He has also coached at AC Milan and Deportivo La Coruña, among other places. Clarence, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. Great to have you here, and it's been really nice getting to know you a little bit, working with you for Fox uh, throughout the tournament. Um, lots of stuff to talk about here. I appreciate the time. I would start by asking you about this World Cup. Um, what are your thoughts so far on this World Cup? The biggest surprise is defending champion Germany going out in the group stage. In your opinion, what went wrong for Germany? Well, Germany came in, uh, of course, as uh, one of the favorites of this tournament being uh, still, you know, the World Cup champions at the moment. But um, it was obvious after the first match that uh, something wasn't really uh, functioning. And I think it was especially the the defensive uh, mentality, uh, the patience, uh, the, the the German um, yeah, being being cold and calculating, you know, their moments, and I didn't see all of that. They weren't playing that bad um, with the ball, even if their choices were really poor in the last third, uh, going a lot centrally against Mexico, giving them all the time um, counter attack possibilities and exposing their defense, uh, playing that way. They adjusted that in the second match. They played the German way through the sides, getting a lot of balls in the box. But you also could see that they had an issue with, uh, you know, scoring, um, which is also synonymous of how you are um, psychologically as a team. Uh, things were not flowing, um, so they were also a bit unlucky in that. But that has to do, in my opinion, with the lack of. Um, the proper mentality when they didn't have the ball or um, you know, let's say the way they were attacking again with a proper mindset uh, and the proper mindset is when you ha when you attack you're always aware of if you lose the ball you know what will happen and then you try to anticipate that with your defense with your midfielders that has been the biggest issue for me for this Germany and then they come in the last match when um, in the last I would say 30 minutes in the second match they played on a super high level offensively. And for me, it was difficult to even improve on that. Mm -hmm. um, scoring in that last minute in extra time with Kroos. But from a, uh, you know, from a nervous point of, point of view, from a, from a psychological point of view, they, they gave so much in that second match that I, I saw them with less energy in the last match. Um, he took out Ozil and um, Kedira. Uh, for the second match, they came on again in right. the third match, and it was even worse than the first match they played. So, was Love still capable of having the effect on this group? You know, at the end, 
uh, I'm sure everybody thought so, but um, uh, that's, that's, I think, an interesting discussion point. Recently, Yogi Lowe had signed a contract extension with yeah. Germany. Do you think he will remain their coach or do you not? Well, I mean, for me, he can remain definitely because it's not because he, he didn't perform in, the, in these three matches that he's now a bad coach. It's not, absolutely not about that, but maybe um, uh, he also underestimated uh, if, 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 or, or miscalculated his capability of still getting this team you know, in the right place to perform at their best. Uh, so may, maybe he will reconsider to continue, which I would understand and maybe have also another adventure. But on the other hand, if, if they will continue with him, I understand that also perfectly. You know, Germans have had a, uh, have done some great planning over the last uh, 10, 12 years. And if they plan with him to go uh, another four years, then it would also be logical to continue that because it's not because of these three matches something has changed in his capability of anything. But maybe the response of what they've seen from the players, he himself, I could understand that he may have some doubts now if he's the right guy to, to get them to the next stage. Okay. Uh, which teams have impressed you the most so far in this World Cup and why? I think there are two teams really. Um, Belgium is one of them. Uh, the other one uh, is Croatia. Mm -hmm. um, England for me, uh, you know, I still want to see them tested uh, properly, uh, even if you still have to perform, even against the smaller teams, because right. I mean, Argentina struggled against Iceland and etc. So, uh, but the way they were playing, um, have played until now, um, Belgium, yeah, good football, um, vertical speed, goals, quality. Uh, I've seen a bit of everything there, mm. uh, which is good. And not even on a too high level. So for me, there's still margin to improve, mm -hmm. even for them, especially when they will, get, they, they will get better opponents, of course. And Croatia, um, Croatia, I'm worried about the level they reached already. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's th that much stretch, you know, for them. Um, but they have a great team, great players, and they performed in the group uh, outstandingly. And yeah, I mean, they not a big surprise. Even Belgium not a big surprise, but because of the players they have on the team. Uh, but these are the two teams that have um, given me, uh, yeah, that I said yes. These these are teams that at this point have played the best football. Okay, good stuff. Which teams do you expect more from at this point than what we have seen so far? Well, Argentina. Yeah. France. I think these are the two big names. Uh, Brazil has, has performed properly. Not uh, uh, underperforming, not overperforming. I think it was gradually improving. France has been underperforming, in my opinion, getting results, but underperforming. And Argentina obviously has been underperforming as well, big time. Um, but they came back with good spirit in the last match, which gives us hope that they will improve uh, and also have taken away a little of that pressure, you know, that was on them. Um, so, yeah, these are the two teams that I would say they, that they have really, besides Germany, of course. Right. But we have discussed that already. So, uh, But the ones who are still in, right. uh, I think that, that these are the two. Okay. Um, just today, um, 
we have seen Senegal go out on the fair play points tiebreaker for the first time in the history of the World Cup. Japan goes through, Senegal goes out. Are you okay with using fair play points as a tiebreaker? I mean, uh, we have to be okay. If, if there was a better solution, I think uh, somebody would have proposed it already. I don't know. What can you do? Other options? I mean, I've seen a few things thrown out. A number of corner kicks earned, potentially. Um, one of the complaints, which I find interesting, there was an article in the Washington Post this afternoon about this, is that uh, this sort of unconscious idea of referees... I don't have the data in front of me if African teams are given more yellow cards than non-African teams, or if there's something going on subconsciously in the heads of referees that might have an impact on that. Yeah, I mean, now that we're think, talking, uh, it could be that uh, how many shots on goal mm -hmm. could be something. Um, the fair play, of course, uh, we get into other stuff that, that is uh, related to a third person or third entity like the referee, as you say. But the shots on goal depends on how you play. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, but the things, it's evolution. I think everything uh, needs also to be um, uh, tested. And, and uh, everybody knew about this rule before. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But for sure, we can try to find uh, things that are more related to what the teams uh, control. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I agree with you on that. I think that's uh, that could be. I never thought about it, but now that I'm putting my head around it, I think it would be interesting also to um, favor you know more attacking football uh, to say okay, if all the shots on goal that really had hit the target uh, will be counted, and 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 that could be make a difference absolutely. Yeah, I never thought about this until today either. So <laughs> I guess you never know what might happen at a World Cup. Um, Senegal was pretty good in this tournament, even though they're out now. Senegal is the only team of the 32 in Russia that has a black coach, Aliou Cisse. Why are we not seeing more black coaches in the World Cup, whether it's African teams or teams from other continents? Why aren't we seeing more black coaches in European club football? Well, um, I think that uh, there's still a lot of prejudice going on and I don't really think it's only an issue of football. I think football is another, is a mirror of society, I always uh, say. And um, while well, we see that in society, there's a lot of movement going on uh, to, uh, you know, uh, give a voice to the minorities, uh, groups of minorities and 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 yeah, racism, discrimination, prejudice, the different steps within it. Not everything is related to racism, but for sure, uh, uh, there is a difference in 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 the uh, opportunities that are provided to uh, black coaches. Um, um, if you look at the percentages, for example, even in, in England or in France, you know where uh, there are a lot of black players who then did their um, courses and, and just don't find the same opportunity. So I think that process, uh, you know, needs to be talked about, needs to be 
openly discussed and um, uh, we should improve improve upon that for sure. Um, it goes from both sides, also from the other side, you know, those black coaches that get a chance uh, and have that opportunity need need to perform, need to know that they have a responsibility also for a whole movement, you know, uh, to make a change and to make sure that who's giving the jobs have the best perception possible about our capability. I think that a lot has to do with, you know, history. Um, um, you know the, the the quarterbacks, you know uh, how we call it syndrome or or mm-hmm. that that black athletes are not thinkers, um, and and that we can see relate back also a bit in 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 football, uh, where um, you know if you go in the history of football, the number tens that are a little bit like the quarterbacks or. You know the the, the, the playmaker. Um, how many black playmakers have we seen? You know over all these years, it's changing. So I'm very positive about that. There's change uh, um, in uh, in movement at this moment, but it, it needs to be reinforced. It needs to be um, more visible. And um, again, it's it's from both sides. It's not only those who give the job, but also the ones who are looking for it and, and make sure you're prepared in the best way, study, you know, get your management courses done and um, uh, try to be the best. Uh, and it's not about, um, you know, I, what I, think, I, I like the whole NFL um, Rooney rule. Yeah. Uh, it requires know, uh, yeah, minority interview exactly. for and coaching jobs. Which which the thing, what... what um, what I like so much about it was the fact that they didn't oblige them to hire them, but it was really you have to interview them because it's about a prejudice. I'm convinced that the prejudice is the first step that that we can still influence those who have those type of thoughts. Um, when you get already in, in, in uh, a situation where discrimination is part of the thought, it's already was harder, and then eventually, if you have a racist, then then it's even harder. So, the more we can educate uh, those who who um, you know who, who uh, yeah who have a, a thought that is based on perception and based on uh, yeah prejudice, uh, we 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 definitely can influence that by by sitting in front and talking with potential coaches now what is the difference the the, the american culture uh, to hire somebody they have job interviews and in football it's about an agent or a friend or somebody else who says that this could be a good coach and most of the time they're not even interviewed and uh, so and they're signed for whatever time they sign for uh, so the processes in football are different, and I think that's something that we should actually uh, try to change and, and make sure that each club on professional level, especially the highest level, um, have to show their process mm-hmm. of hiring somebody. And that would also probably improve their uh, their choices because many times they make choices and after three months they already change their mind because... Uh, uh, they lost four four out of six games or whatever, which can happen. Um, I remember uh, a year where I think it was Juventus. They they lost I think 
five out of the first eight matches or something like that and they kept of course the coach and they won at the end of the league I mean mm -hmm. so um, but but in football we see a lot of emotional reactions and uh, uh, this whole interview process to hire a coach I think that is um, implemented in a more systematic way in football it would also give us a chance then to get into such process to say okay you, if you have three interviews make sure or you have to also interview uh, a minority group and, and and that would be yeah something that could help improve this situation as well as i'm sure you know uh we have plenty of race issues in the united states uh they've been that way for a long time however in u.s sports i do find that we often see sometimes european football in the amount of racism that is just in your face from fans especially in certain countries and we're surprised by that yeah what in your opinion needs to be done about racism and especially in european football and why do you think it's still still a big problem it's it's, it's racist behavior racism is for me something that we need to define properly when we have a group of 10 20 or a small group that's uh, have a certain behavior. Uh, I call it racist behavior. Now okay. we don't know if they're racist, but um, or not. But because the the there are players that I played with that were boot, they weren't black, were Italian guys, but they had a certain behavior. Were not liked by the others, and they would try to find a way to get to them. And it was of course not with the. Uh, sounds they would make with a, for a black player but they would maybe uh, have songs about his mom or try to fend them um, so i think it, we cannot uh, we should really be careful using that 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 proper word but if we want to talk about the behavior of such group and how it needs to be punished well i think that for sure um, there needs to be taken action and, and not only uh, in terms of fines because I don't think the fine will at, at the end help because the fines have been going on for years and years and still we are seeing this type of behavior. Today, there's technology. Uh, we can identify the people who are in on the stands and for me, they should be banned forever and that's it. Uh, we had the hooligans going on and today the Premier League is the best football league in the world as a fan to go to mm -hmm. uh, so uh, authorities need to step up um, the I think the, the, the rules in terms of um, uh, you know when these type of things happen to really identify to make that effort uh, and to really have these people abandoned from 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 football because they are no that no fans these are people making problems and that's it it's either it's for violence or it's for racist behavior or um, you know and, and, and then a lot of times they are blaming the clubs the clubs are getting fined and everything I, I don't know the effect of that no okay interesting discussion there um, switching gears you've coached at AC Milan and more recently at Deportivo La Coruña among other clubs what kind of football do you like your teams to play? Can I go back to the question before? 
Yeah. Because I just reminded that we've been talking only about the coaching position, but in the coaching position, they don't do the interviews, but for management jobs, uh, sport directors yeah. or marketing director or whatever within the world of football, uh, in, in management institutions of football, the, the, the percentage is even lower. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm happy that what, 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 uh, is the movement also here in FIFA, for example, uh, of trying to make it a more inclusive and more diverse mm-hmm. um, institution, um, which should happen in all the federations as well. Uh, that's a point that can be immediately applied, mm-hmm. the Rooney Rule, uh, because then it's, it's more common um, for, for such positions to have a job interview. Yeah, they don't hire a marketing manager just because they've heard somebody's good. Normally, you really have a proper job interview, and I think that that could be something um, that could be applied immediately in order to increase, uh, you know, the uh, the um, the possibility to have a more diverse um, federation: Italian, Spanish, whatever, Dutch. Yeah, yeah. So. I just wanted to add it. No, and I appreciate that. It's always a slightly awkward transition when you're talking about a really serious, important topic like yeah. like race and sports and yeah. then moving on to on the field, which mm-hmm. is also important, obviously, but it, it's just always going to be a jarring transition. But absolutely, absolutely. And I, and, and we need to appreciate that, that it's life, you know, um, um, and, and it's a battle of all. Uh, we all try to... Uh, improve. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of good people out there, and 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 I think we should have faith in that things will improve. And uh, it's great that you are giving the opportunity also to just you know be able to express upon these type of topics, which is important, um, and and that we can talk about it without anger, you know, yeah. uh, which is which is also important. And I'm sure that things will improve. I'm sure that uh, we all have a, a common interest for it to improve. Uh, and if I look at, at how I want to manage <laughs> players, it's it's related also to uh, to how I would like to see society go. And um, it should be a more personal approach. It should be uh, based on 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 quality and merits. And uh, uh, these are a few of my um, core uh, pillars, w- which I work on. Uh, with, with my groups that I've had until now, uh, making them feel all important, uh, giving, putting more hours in, 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 in terms of that type of relationship to, to have conversation with them, to understand, you know, uh, who they are as a person. For me, uh, before the athlete, they are persons. And um, once I know the person better, I can also understand the athlete better. Um, uh, nobody performs well if he doesn't feel good uh, and if somebody doesn't feel good because of uh, issues not related to, uh, to football related to personal uh, personal life or or, or um, anything outside of his his job then it's a great thing that there's a relationship going on where this athlete feels comfortable to eventually share uh, with not directly myself necessarily but also my staff um understand the type of, of, of um, way of working, this philosophy, uh, to care about your players um, and, and to care about their well-being uh, on and off the field. 
um, and then to work technically uh, with them to improve uh, their abil- ability, uh, ability, their capability, their technical, technical and technical capability. Uh, give them tools in order to do so. Challenge them. Uh, when you work with the best players, then it's really about challenging them, uh, and they will find a way, and they will find, you know, the topics which they want to work uh, on. Um, and those who are not the best generally are um, more eager to to improve on on stuff, but sometimes to know how. Um, so then you you know you provide them the tools and and, and the time also to do it. Um, so to make it really in in a nutshell, I, I I focus on the individual growth in order to make make the, the team stronger. Um, that's that's for me fundamental, and and that's from the mental aspect, which is for me super important, physical and technical, technical of course. Uh, the the whole idea of uh, using that data. Um, Technology, applied sport technology, in order to make you know less mistakes and and, and better uh, uh, a better plan uh, for the team to grow. These are all aspects that, that that I've used as a player as well, and and now finally as a coach I can even uh, do more with it because I really believe in in such such uh, such system. We're nearing the end here. I appreciate you taking this much time. Um, the other night we were eating together and we talked a bit about soccer in America. I know you've observed soccer in America a fair amount. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I'm, I'm looking so much forward for America to explode uh, and to really get to a, a level where it can compete um, to attract players uh, also in the early stages uh, of their career. Uh, because it, it it has it all. I think it, it, it's it's um, a great sporting environment. Uh, there's a sporting mentality. The facilities are great. Um, fan base has grown enormously. Uh, I do think that the uh, the the basis of of such movement in order to provide young talents um, for professional football is 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 still not where it should be. Uh, I, I, I'm a bit disappointed about that because I think that the potential was there to do it maybe even 10 years ago. Other things have grown, uh, other aspects have grown, but I think that there's missing a long-term plan to get into the grassroots and to get into youth systems in a way that it will provide constantly uh, athletes on, on, on top level um, because I cannot imagine that with the physical and mental potential that there is here and the sport mentality that there is in the United States um, that it can provide 30 top players that are maybe a few of them, 10 of them maybe playing in Europe or whatever but that really can uh, boost the level of the national team uh, on, on you know on a constant level, because it's uh, what? How many people are living in the state? Two hundred million? What is it? More than three hundred million. Three yeah. million. Oh, here we go. I mean, shouldn't be an issue, right? Right. <laughs> in terms of numbers, so I think that the system that is in place is is uh, has has brought football where it is now, 
but um, there definitely needs to be, be a, a, a different approach uh, in order also to really trigger at the right moment in the growth of the youngsters um, the proper uh, uh, processes. Um, and if that's going to happen, then really uh, America for me will be like um, one of the top teams potentially uh, when it comes to World Cups and stuff. Um, just from a physical point of view. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. And the te technical point of view and the tactical point of view are all things that we can learn. Yeah. Uh, and there is talent, raw talent out there. So, well, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, in your career, you've played in a lot of different countries. You've coached in different countries. What would you like to do next, coaching-wise? No, I'm looking for nice projects. I'm looking for projects that have, uh, well, that's that's challenging um, and that goes in the direction of the things that we have discussed that, that, that embraces all of those pieces that I can really express that in, in the project. I like to create a team around me. Uh, I like to collaborate and, and leave always a legacy wherever I go. I did this as a player and I'd have to say that even in my uh, experience as a coach, everywhere I've been, I left something behind which was positive with what what the club could use eventually and, and build upon, uh, further upon. So so uh, it's about the projects, it's about the people, um, it's about the vision of the, the club uh, and the people who are managing the club and adding that value to them. Clarence Seedorf, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Clarence Seedorf, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast. Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.